in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. Three brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. The episode you're about to listen to is of lower sound quality than you're used to hearing on the show. The show was actually lost, and a backup recording through Skype is all we had to work with. Luckily, the episode was not lost, and you can listen to it now. Again, we apologize for the lower sound recording. At times, it'll cut out, but bear with us. It's still a good listen, and it's a great way to finish out the year that was 2019. For anybody who wants to hear the full review, going back from the full set of 43 movies, we have all of that available on the Patreon page, so please go check that out. It's a great way to support the show, and it's a super long listen, so we put in there the top 20 because that's we think that's what people are going to want to hear the most, but we know there are a lot of hardcore fans out there, and so we're looking for people to help support the show, so please go check out our Patreon page, and you'll be able to hear the full countdown there. I'm doing well, guys. Uh, Last movie I saw was Six Underground, a Netflix movie starring Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, I want to see that. You know, I never got a chance to see Ad Astra, and I really wanted to see that one. I actually had a weird, uh, I had a weird thought about this when I first saw the preview for Ad Astra. I was like, "Is this Space Cowboys too?" Because Donald Glover is sending someone out to find Tommy Lee Jones, and I'm like, "Holy crap! This is Space Cowboys too."
DC still trying desperately hard to come up with a hit movie. I would say that my New Year's resolution every year is to really maintain myself better. Uh, I still have like one week where I treat my body like an amusement park and then one week when, you know, I'm actually a human being. So, yeah, uh, I know that's probably a cliche one, but uh, every year I try to get a little bit better at it. I love the dark humor in general. It's just a sort of genre of movie that, that it's kind of a sweet spot for me. I love that acting. It's it's The characters are so much fun. I love the Tim Burton-esque feel to it. This was just a, an enjoyable movie. Chad, you had this one the lowest. I did. I like that this was a horror genre movie, but I just didn't, I, I didn't like it enough. The effects struck me as kind of cheap. Calling her cheap? I am. It's funny, you say, it's funny you say that it was praised for its visual effects at the time. Yeah, things don't always age well. Yeah, yeah. I think it's an Oscar winner, if I recall. Oh, no. Oh, is it? Yeah, for visual effects, I believe. Uh, yeah, I think that uh, hole where I don't remember which one of them got a hole the shot through the middle holes. of them. And yeah. I think they really did a good job. That was a really fun scene. That's what sticks out in my mind in terms of visual effects. Brian, you're closer to chat on this one. You have this one at 29. What was your take on Death Becomes Her? Uh, my wife likes this movie more, definitely more than I do. Um, it's it's fine. It's very Tim Burton-y, 
I like that part of it. It it scratches some itches, but it's not like the back scratcher. And I'm at number 15, so I'm closer to Mary on this one. I really enjoyed this one. This was my first time doing it, actually, and I just was taken aback by not sure what we were going to get in for, and it went a whole other direction than I thought it would. And I had a lot of fun with this one as it, as it continued to unfold, and just so many really good exaggerated moments, and Bruce Willis just played his part to such an extreme. Even simple things like the interchange between him and the doctor when he finds out uh, his his wife is dead and he's like where is she in the morgue the morgue she'll be furious there were just such animated moments from bruce willis that uh, i loved it and there was good chemistry between the the front ladies as well the prestige at two from 2006 at, comes in at number 19 brian you had this one the highest at number 14 fantastic cast very cool plot i'm such a sucker for uh, tesla edison uh, back and forth and how they've basically showed a different grudge match between two uh, magicians as opposed to kind of what was going on in Tesla's life, but they still kind of worked him in there. It was, was kind of fun. And then, you know, it's magic. It is magic. Mary, you had this one the lowest at 29. What was your take on The Prestige by Christopher Nolan? Oh, I, I really enjoy this film. I think it just has to do with there's so many good movies still on our list to come. So I... You no know, knock to this movie at all. I I really like it. I have a lot of these moments as well where it's just too, too good to. Uh, so sorry, the, the competition's just so good it had to be somewhere. So, uh, I I had this one similar to you at 26, and it also demands multiple viewings. So if you watch this one the first time, you're gonna come away a little bit unfulfilled. It actually thrives on watch two, three, and four. So uh, I actually enjoyed it more. This was, this was fun to return to because I had a much higher appreciation for it this time. Chad, you had the prestige up where Brian had it at around 16. I loved it the first time I saw it. There are some movies that I enjoyed more on this list, but it's pretty high for me. And I agree, it definitely gets more value the second time, but I was enthralled throughout the movie, even the first time I saw it. As we move up to number 18, moving up towards the top, this is exciting. Now, I know somebody's in particular is going to be very excited because, Brian, you have the Three Musketeers at number two on your countdown. This is a movie that just makes me happy every time I see it, and I watch it a lot. Uh, it's one of those uh, early and often kind of movies for me. Love the cast, love the jokes, love the action. They're really, I, there should have been more of these. You want more Musketeers, like five Musketeers? Uh, I want five Musketeer movies with this cast. At the other end, I have this one the lowest. I'm, I'm going to be the down uh, voter on this one. I have this one at 32, and... Very similar to what Mary just said, I had a lot of fun coming back to this movie. I hadn't seen it in years, and it was really fun to return to. It just was one of those ones where it doesn't quite have the depth that some of these other movies would later have. So had fun with it. Totally would watch it again. I will watch it again, but it just it fell at 32. So 32 sounds low, but in reality, it's, a, it's actually still strong for me. So Chad, the Three Musketeers. I smile and have a good time throughout this entire movie. I think it's one of those that if I caught it, I would sit down and watch it and have a good time every time, but it's not going to be upper echelon for me. Yeah, and Mary, you had The Three Musketeers at number 18. I hadn't seen this movie before, which is surprising because it's definitely my kind of movie. It's got that sort of just fun adventure thing going for it, and it was really enjoyable. Yeah, I can't believe I never saw this before. We're going to move up towards probably one of the most controversial ones that has one of the greatest stratifications on this one. We're going to go to Mr. Nobody from 2009. This is a fantastic movie. I have it at number four on my list. And it's one of those movies that 
every time I watch it, I just can't stop but thinking on Chad my own life. Chad is currently shaking his, his head even as this movie comes up. You wait your turn. I'm gonna I'm gonna build, I'm gonna build this movie up first. It's one of those movies that is probably the most thought provoking movie we did this year. It's the one that I I find myself reflecting on my own life and the decisions that you make and all the impact and the things around you and the impact that you make on the world around you. It's such a interesting movie it's beautifully acted diane kruger and uh jared leto play multiple versions of themselves and it's just such an interesting movie in the same way that prestige benefits from multiple watchings this movie is good the first time but you have no idea how good it is until you watch it three four five times we got the extended edition blu-ray because it's a long movie to begin with and it's just one of those ones that I will always return to this one, and I love it. It's like science fiction. It's a trauma, too. Now, Chad, why don't you uh, bring balance to the world with your number 42 ranking? Yes, this is second to last for me. Uh, full disclosure, I Good. do not like your... Good. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm letting the hate flow through me. I, I do not like Jared Leto, and after watching this movie for two and a half hours of my life, I honestly started to question whether I like movies at all. Uh, <laughs> brutal. Best quote of the episode. So, <laughs> so I, I saw where this movie was going very quickly. And through all the twists and turns, I didn't care because I was just waiting for it to get to the point. And it did, and the point just was a thud. And, and so, yeah. Okay, so, okay. And, uh, Brian, why, you're, you're right in the middle there. So, you're at 26. What was your take on Mr. Nobody? I, I, I put this movie at 26 because I wanted to give the plot and, and the other actors the benefit of my commiseration with having to work with Jared Leto. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> it, it wasn't a bad movie. And I give Jared Leto a lot of crap, but that's because I hate him. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, this this one was really hurt by the the, the primary actor. Um, I just every time I see his face, he just exudes pretentiousness, and I, I I can't get past it. I have a hard time. Like it broke my heart that he had a part in Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Thank God he didn't have much screen time. I mean, that would have been like a big deal breaker for me. If you saw like the pictures on magazines with him wearing carpets and stuff like this guy, like I can't separate him from himself. I cannot willingly suspend my belief that he's just and it oh, just I don't know, drives me nuts. Anyway, well done, apprentice. Well done. <laughs> so half the people on this podcast feel strongly against Jared Leto. Did he kick your dog or something? Might have. <laughs> Just like the Suicide Squad, he mailed used condoms to our house. It was 2002 when he came to Charleston, West Virginia and opened for Incubus and came out and made fun of West Virginia for 15 minutes oh. and then nobody cheered for him and he pouted and left the stage. Yeah, that was terrible. That that started. That kicked it off. Okay. So it, it was, it was right. game on uh, Jared Leto hate. And I didn't even know who he was at the time. But then as he got popular, I was like, no. So now Mary's got to be okay. our foil here. Mary, Mary, oh, Mary, after all of that. Mary, why I have bring no full circle? strong opinions about him. Uh, the only experience I have with his acting is this movie and Blade Runner. 
I didn't have any problem with this role, and it certainly didn't affect my enjoyment of the movie. I tend to really like movies that you can watch and rewatch and rewatch, and every time you watch it, there's something that you hadn't seen before, and I love that about this movie. There's so much detail in it, and there's such a high level of art in terms of the filmmaking. Um, to me, I really get into that kind of thing, and this this really is that kind of nice indie film quality for it for me, and I like a movie that can make me think. You know, I was finding myself, you know, after watching it the first time, um, you know, weeks later, thinking about it, thinking about all the different decisions I made in my life and how my life might have ended up differently had I made different decisions at different points. So, and there aren't that many movies that, that uh, I would uh, contemplate on that much after having watched it. So for that, I that's why I rank this movie highly. Now, Jared Leto plays 13 different characters in this movie. Chad, is there one that you hated most? <laughs> The the only one I liked was the old man. He liked one. All right. <laughs> he didn't really talk as the old man. Oh, he said all kinds of things. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he, he was funny. If you didn't like that, then maybe you'll like this next one. We're going to go on to this next movie. This is big. Tom Hanks. It's a 1988 movie. And I have this one the highest as well. So this is another one in my top five. I'm the high voter on this one. I gave this one at number three. Wow. This is just one of those movies that made me feel like a kid again. And it shows you the joy of being a kid. And it also kind of makes you, as an adult, kind of appreciate that inner kid that's in all of us. Uh, it's also that realization when you're a kid that you want to be grown up. And then it's that realization that it's not everything that cracked up to be all the time. I mean, there's good parts about it and there's bad parts about it. And this movie handled that so beautifully. And it's funny. Tom Hanks is just so charismatic in the role, whether it's eating a tiny little cocktail corn or <laughs> nailing these parts where he just doesn't get adult language that's thrown ahead his way where he's taking it on the first level not an innuendo and it's just brilliant funny stuff that's written throughout there and it's got a big heart in it too so a lot to love about this movie it's the kind of movie that you'll absolutely be roped into if you see one scene of it you're just wanting to sit down and watch the whole thing at number 39 brian you might feel a little bit differently. Uh, no, this is this is a super funny movie. It's a feel good movie, and it's a movie I enjoyed. But this this movie has very very little rewatchability for me. I think it's one of those like once you've seen it, that's that's probably fine. Um, I'm sure other people disagree, but that's just like a, a wheelhouse in terms of what I like to watch on my free time versus you know things I watch for the podcast versus things I just feel like I need to watch at least once for you know posterity's sake. So this is this just is a victim of my biases toward movies that are rewatchable versus just watchable. No no disrespect to Tom Hanks, he did a great job. It's a good movie. Clearly, this neighborhood of your countdown is far less visceral than Chad's. This, the, the, <laughs> your ranking is in the neighborhood of where his Mister Nobody ranking was, and uh, your response. Oh was, no, there's there's no. Was hate. wildly more even kill. <laughs> yeah, no hate. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. I, I was a little worried when I saw 39, but uh, that was a very kind 39. Number 22 uh, is where you have this movie, Chad. Where are you on Big? I still really enjoy it. I think it's got a lot of memorable moments and tom hanks is wonderful but honestly revisiting it it brought up some problematic themes and i we discussed this a little on the podcast but the we can't spoil too much but it has problems right now i could deal with it yeah i i it's a comedy man you just gotta you gotta roll with it and have fun chad chad how do you feel about baby it's cold outside 
<laughs> That's been debated to death. <laughs> Mary, you have Big at 10. Big is just one of those movies I remember really fondly as a kid and I hold up an adult as well. And Danny Elfman's score just brings the whole thing together. I, I think this is a classic. Fluth is the next one at 15. This is a 1972 movie. And I have this one the highest again. Boy, I'm on a roll for ranking these highest. This yeah. is three in a row. Uh, I have this at number 12. And this was a fun, mind-bending movie. I didn't see what was coming, coming. Uh, for one, when you get started with this, when you think it's going a certain direction, and then the tone changes. And it changes a few times more past that. And it's always fun to see how the tenor of this movie changes. And by the time it finishes, it actually finishes in a much darker realm. And so it's playful at times. And it's just a really fun acting performance between two juggernauts of Michael Caine and Laurence Olivier. And it's just so much fun to watch. And I recommend it. It's one of those movies that's been forgotten, but it got really good ratings at the time. It's based on a, a play. They went back and remade it. We talked about the remake in 2007. I didn't think that that captured the magic. It's, it's stylish. And I like the style of that, that movie a lot. But the uh, it becomes more rushed. And I prefer the, the slow burn of the original 72 movie. Chad, you have this one at 23. Yeah, I really like the chemistry of the two leads. I did see where it was going. And so that... that Which took... of the five times? Because it changed a lot of times. I was not fooled, I'll just say that. But I still had a good time and it was a fun ride. Mary, you have this one at 17. Yeah, I hadn't seen this one until watching it for the podcast. It was just really pleasantly surprised and almost felt like I was watching a play. Um, I really liked how the story played out and, you know, I really enjoy a good story brian you have this one at 22 a really good movie in terms of people wanting to watch uh you know more classic film call it pre-1985 kind of stuff uh i would recommend this one this is definitely my kind of movie uh the only thing that it suffered from was uh just be movies i like more in front of it we're going to go up to number 14, where we have The Shining, a Stanley Kubrick masterpiece from 1980. Brian, you have this one the highest at number five. Why don't you go first? Uh, to this day, I kind of want to have twins just to use it to screw with people who stay at my house uh, solely from this movie. And I've told Jess this. She was like, that's not a good reason to have twins. And I was like, yep, but I'll do it. She's right. <laughs> yeah yeah i no, I, I listen I, I hear you it just would be a lot of fun for me so anyway uh there's so many hallmark creepy moments in this that you can earmark for you know like the horror hall of fame and i i don't know i i really enjoy it jack nicholson's a creepy man now chad you're a big horror fan were you a fan of this one I am not. You have I, this one at number 40, I see. This is a bit of a surprise, given that you're a big fan of the horror genre. We've talked about this in other podcasts, but I was banned from this podcast because we try not to go to Negative Town, and I don't like The Shining. Won't uh, you take me down to Negative Town? <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like a lot of my disdain for this movie is because it keeps being, in my opinion, overrated. I don't find it scary whatsoever, and I find two-thirds of the main cast miscast. I don't like Shelley Duvall, and I don't like Jack Nicholson in this movie. Uh, Jack Nicholson just starts off Yeah, but the guy who creepy. runs the lodge is pretty cool, right? The guy that calls him Doc? <laughs> no, I'm at, I'm at the guy who hires him at the very beginning oh. in the first like two minutes no. of the movie. Sorry. No. I was being smart, Doc. <laughs> okay. No. Uh, 
yeah, it's it's just a miss for me, and I get more and more frustrated as it's ranked. I've even seen it ranked as the number one horror movie of all time, and so I tend to have some pushback against that. So uh, the cast doesn't work for me. The scares don't work for me. Nothing on this movie works. Well, I guess you and Stephen King are in a boat together. Yep. Uh, Mary, you like this one a good bit more. It looks like you have it at number 13. So... Uh, the first time I saw this movie years ago, probably was around Halloween time, and the way this movie is marketed and the cover of the DVD, and I thought I was getting into a slasher movie. So I was very prepared for one type of movie, and it is not that. So when I rewatched it this time, I knew I was in for a very different kind of movie. I knew I was in for a more artful film that's more about subtleties and suspense, and I enjoyed it a whole lot more. So I would say that my view of this movie has changed over the years. I have this movie at number nine. I just was a big fan of this movie, and my appreciation for it has grown over the years as well. It's been more gradual. I didn't necessarily... Um, Get why it was a masterpiece at first, but certainly after studying it for the podcast, I just think that it's one of those. It it is it is a classic for me. It's one of those ones that I know people are going to be watching this one in fifty years from now. Number thirteen, first episode we did together as three hosts, Ben Hur from nineteen fifty two. Brian, you're always acting like you like longer movies. You got it here, but first let's hear from Chad because you have this one at number four. I'd never seen Ben Hur. Well, it, at least not in this format. I'd seen it on TV, but I didn't remember it being the epic that we wound up watching. So uh, it must have been some edited version or something like that, but it's a masterpiece. Everything about the movie worked for me in it. Reading about it just gave me a further appreciation of what was accomplished, and it's stunning. It was an absolute spectacle for sure. Brian, you have this one at number 38. That's the lowest of, of us, which I recall like this movie a good bit in the actual podcast. Uh, what led to the 38 ranking? This is a, a complete and total victim of rewatchability. This is this is the opposite end of the spectrum of I want it to be longer. <laughs> uh, this one actually <laughs> could have been quite a bit shorter. Uh, yeah, it, it really is just a victim of rewatchability. I agree with Chad. It is an epic. It's just not an epic I care to watch a lot. It's fair. Just su- super succinct. It's really just, that's my only problem with it. Yeah, it's, it's over three hours long. Oh, yeah. Mary, you, you have this one at 14. I think this movie did a lot of things for the first time and really set some bars pretty high for, for movies to come after it, particularly things like the epic chariot scenes. Um, mm-hmm. And for me, the score was revolutionary. I, I think that I could see where other scores that I love so much that have been done later probably drew some inspiration from the epicness of that score. And I think that it just feels like an important moment in movie history for the way we watch movies now. I have this one at number 10, and this was my first time to it. And like Brian, I might not be fast to go back to it simply because I have to carve out a substantial chunk of my day. But on the other hand, it's really good. And I just love the arc. And when you say epic, it is this is this truly lives it like it is big in the production. You don't see that scale brought to movies even now necessarily. It's really cool to see how real it is, meaning they had to do this obviously with all practical effects. And so in a way, I also like Chad gained a big appreciation for what all went into making it. It's uh, it's a lot harder than wave your hands with the zeros and ones today. As we open to number 12, 
one of the older movies we did this year from 1941, The Maltese Falcon. Now, Brian, you have this one at number nine. Yeah, I love this movie. <laughs> this is, again, one of those ones that if you have friends or family who are resistant to watching older movies, this is why I would just hold this in front of their face and be like, this one, this one right here. Honestly, I wish I could have put it higher. Uh, it just it comes down to if you put ten movies in front of me and told me, you know, put these in order of which you'd want to watch first to last, it comes in at number nine in this grouping. It's a strong class. We had a lot of good movies this year. Mary, you have this one at 27. Still pretty high, but that's the lowest of the of the bunch here. Yeah, I have a little bit of trouble with this movie because the storyline's very interesting, but I kept getting pulled out of it by the archaic way the women in the film are treated. It makes, it detracts from it. And Run it on makes, play, kid. Yeah, you literally told a female character to run along. That That's going to harm my enjoyment of a movie. And yeah, I, I see how this is a classic, but uh, it's it's at the same time a painful one. On a similar note, though, they kept calling the uh, the, the, female, the main female role, and this is like, she's a knockout. I'm like, well, no. <laughs> not even close. That's, but... <laughs> that's generous. But yeah. <laughs> it's very generous. Now, Chad, you have this one at 17. What was your take? I'd never seen it. And I'm glad I did. You're absolutely right that it's a classic. And it's one that I would recommend people revisit. Mary may be ripe with uh, you know, time not being kind to some of the treatment of its characters. But overall, just the, the story is fascinating. And I love where it took me. In fairness, that character is unkind to everybody. <laughs> he, he's a jerk. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, And I have this movie at number 13. I loved it as well. I love the noir aspect of like the mysterious thing where you're kind of trying to figure out what is going on? Who's telling the truth? What's in play? What is this really all leading up to? And you know what? It builds up to a really great climax. And like we mentioned before, I like this quality. Sleuth had this as well. Sleuth was written to be a play. This has a play-like quality that I really enjoyed. It has a very tight, confined area, and the dialogue's really sharp. And that's something that I think a movie that, you know, obviously could, didn't have effects and stuff like that in its favor uh, thrived on. And I think that's something that I'd like to see more movies come back to now. It's, it's really great. I think you're only hoping to get a movie like this to go more from the indie movie route where there are such great restrictions and uh, constraints. E.T. from 1982 comes in at number 11. I have this one the highest uh, at number six. This is just an absolute joy to watch. It's one of those ones that you just can't help but get a huge smile on your face there's so many magical moments on this one whether it be the Reese's pieces whether it be little little Drew Barrymore screaming at E.T. and then E.T. being scared just as equally scared of her and him screaming at her uh, the magic of the bicycle going over the moon Steven Spielberg put himself in the upper echelon of directors and this is with this movie in my opinion he's just got a great career but this is really one of the ones that I just think of that he touches people at all ages. I enjoyed it as a kid. I enjoy it now. I'm pretty sure I'll enjoy it as an old man. And it's one of those ones that it's just absolutely magical that he created this character that showed you that aliens aren't always out to hurt you. That's a really cool aspect to take. There's a lot of heart in this. And I think that I am the sentimentalist of the bunch. And so that, that heartwarming aspect is what I love so much about it. Now, Brian, you have this pretty high yourself at 23. What was your take? I don't have a whole lot to add to that. That was that was a pretty good wrap-up of what makes this movie awesome. Um, it does suffer a little bit from rewatchability for me. I, I don't typically you know, grab for this 
type of movie as a, a rewatch for me, but at the same time, there's no denying, you know, the warm and fuzzies it gives you. So yeah, 23 and, uh, and nothing but compliments. Mary, you're close to Brian's when you have this one at number 20. Surprised it's not higher for you. You're a big science fiction fan. I'm not sure I, I hold it in quite the high esteem that others do. I, I certainly enjoy the movie. Um, I actually didn't like it at all as a child. I was frightened by E.T. I know you say, yeah, he was supposed to be the good guy. Well, he's he is, cute. Yeah, and he is, but he's not that cute. <laughs> in my opinion. He scared my daughter, too. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. It just, uh, yeah, he's he's. He's a little bit creepy looking. Did she get to the part where he fixes her ouch yeah, by kind, touching her finger? Kind of, it's yeah. all kind of scary. Yeah, There's the, all kinds of helps, right? cute, the glowing fuzzy aliens. Ah. You know, what about like Ewoks? You know? What you didn't know is nine months later an alien burst out of her chest. That's my context as a four-year-old me. All it took was one finger touch. <laughs> yeah, Ewoks, Yoda, and... And E.T., these are like, these are, these are the upper echelon of cute aliens, for sure. To my daughter, she's still a little young, so she won't remember it. We'll have to revisit it again. But uh, it was interesting watching her reactions of not really knowing how to deal with this strange alien on screen. And then, is it okay? Is it not okay? Because it kind of starts off with a horror movie. It theme. does, yeah. There's a lot of horror movie overtones and sound, like Close Encounters. It was, so that was interesting. Uh, watching someone with no context of E.T. That is probably exactly why I was frightened of it at age four. You know, he's this, this is the scary thing that's in this uh, shed, yeah, run, and we and don't know if he's going to be okay or not. They do a similar thing with Yoda. When you first meet Yoda and Dagobah, you don't know if he's going to lead you into your peril. Yeah, but he's you adorable. Don't you don't know at first. You don't know if he's troublesome, he's getting into stuff. Is he just going to be a hindrance? But it turns out he's really awesome, and he can lift stuff with his mind, which happens to also be something E.T. can do. The Ewoks tried to eat Han Solo, so... so that is also true. <laughs> uh, but they're, they're cute doing it. There's a, there's an air of horror film about the beginning of Murder e. bears. Yeah. Oh, no. All right. So we're going to move forward to 2001's Rat Race. And oh no, this is my number one. Sorry, so this is my number two movie, and it's just one of these movies that I absolutely love. Perhaps irrationally so, but I just love this movie. I have had such great times watching this movie with my family, with my friends. Over the years, I've given it to a number of people, and I've just had so many fun times watching it with people. And it's one of those ones where some of it's aged a little bit, but for the most part, the core of this movie is really enduring quite well. And I know that the ratings aren't as high, but this just hits me in all kinds of my funny spots. There's different brands of humor here. It's played by a series of actors I really enjoy, and it's really cleverly directed because there's a different kind of writing with each aspect of this journey because it's a treasure hunt, and everybody's fighting to everybody. It's a race for everybody to get to this treasure at the same time. And it's so funny to see all these different aspects, and they make you laugh in one way, and then they turn it to the next scene, and they make you laugh in a completely different way. And that's a very rewarding thing that I can't think of many movies doing, and it's a hard thing to even pursue. So credit to this movie on that one. Yeah, how could anyone ever dislike this movie? Brian? Well, I was going to say, the ratings for this are in the middle, and in the, and so let's let's figure out the other end of the spectrum. For every me that's out there, there's a Brian out there. Brian, 
explain yourself. This, uh, I, I had to, to reach deep. I was actually writing like a dissertation on why I didn't like this movie for this podcast. And I was having a hard time coming up with a really succinct, like nailing down like exactly what I hated. And then I found something on the internet. So hats off to Mike McGranahan. I'm going to use a couple little snippets here from his. This movie is nothing but a piece of forced whacking or one piece of forced wackiness after another. Rat Race is a throwback to those old films like It's a Mad, Mad, Mad World, The Great Race, and uh, The Cannonball Run. The problem is that those movies were never any good to begin with. Boo this man! When you take so many comedians and shove them into the same movie, jealousy breaks out. Everyone wants to be the funniest one in the movie, so they all start playing to the camera, overacting, and generally embarrassing themselves. Compounding the problem is that Rat Race features stars of dubious talent, Kathy... Najimi and John Lovitz, and stars who have talent but often use it poorly, Whoopi Goldberg, alongside stars of indisputable talent who are slumming by being here, John Cleese and Cuba Gooden Jr. A more consistently sterling cast wouldn't have helped considerably. The screenplay is just that atrocious, but maybe it would have been a start. Well, thank you for taking the heat off my hot take of The Shining. <laughs> I agree with like 80% of that. Okay. I'm hurt by that. <laughs> but we're, we're all sadder in this room right yeah, now. Yeah. We, we have to do, we have, uh, uh, we have to move forward though. And Chad, you have this at number nine, which is really high. It's something I saw actually in theaters and it caught me so off guard. And I'm like you, Russell, I show this to people that I care about and I want them to enjoy it. And for the most part they have with one very, very flawed experiment with my parents, uh, notwithstanding. They and one of your best friends, Brian. Yes. Yes. They, Every, they everybody Brian. needs to realize this is the same guy that likes all of the Sith Lords. Okay. So him showing exactly. this to his friends and family is not an act of kindness. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, but yeah, my parents do agree with Brian. Well, until this podcast i've not heard of anyone not liking this movie you my family enjoys it quite a bit that's probably one of their favorite comedies and i think that's it's got an ability to have a clean enough humor that you can show it to pretty much anybody of any age um and they're going to find at least parts of the movie funny i would say this is probably the funniest movie i have ever seen it's definitely the movie i've laughed the hardest in but, and I like all those other movies that uh, that guy dissed, too. It's a mad, mad, mad Yeah, world. I like all of those movies. Cannonball Run. Yeah. I like those. So it's funny. Uh, it, it's possible without this 42 blemish on these rankings, it's very possible Rat Race could have gone on to, to win out this to year's rankings. One. But yep. but uh, don't worry. That's why the law of averages is here. And Brian, Brian has brought ba- balance. balance to the force. Yes. <laughs> I say no. <laughs> there, will, there won't be any more rankings going forward that are anywhere close to that low so that that is that is the highest of the outlier i should say you shall not pass <laughs> <laughs> unforgiven comes in at number nine this is a 1992 oscar winner brian you have this highest at number eight uh, this is one of my favorite Westerns. I understand that with our uh, listenership, uh, I, f- I feel like Westerns at times get overlooked as your grandfather's movies. I highly recommend this one to anybody who you know wants to branch out into a genre that maybe they're not as familiar with. This is a dark movie, and I think it's phenomenal. I, I agree. It's an underappreciated genre, and just because if, if your grandfathers liked it, maybe they were onto something. This was a fun one. Let's go to Mary. You're at number 19. 
Clint Eastwood was able to to really recapture the magic of westerns in a in a modern way and kind of it's this is a little bit of a modern take on a western but it still has that same you know nostalgic feeling to it it's very enjoyable now Chad you have this one at number fifteen yes this was my favorite of the two westerns that we watched I I'd never seen it before and I really really enjoyed Clint Eastwood's performance I enjoyed the story. My one complaint that kept it from being maybe top 10 was the climactic scene. I, I felt like it wasn't big enough. Yeah, it wasn't big enough or well shot. I, I felt like enough people had the opportunity to fire back and didn't. So it was just how that scene was shot that bothered me. I made a I made a comment similar to that on the show, and I uh, I, I I agree to some to some extent, but it is still a very good western, and I have this at fourteen. It's unique. Again, I I haven't been that versed in westerns, and this one makes me say, hmm, I do want to go deeper into this. It was fun to see the Oscars also award a movie like this. This doesn't seem like the kind of thing that the Oscars would come. They praising. like True Grit. Miracle comes in next at two thousand four. Brian, you have this highest at number six. There isn't a bad hockey movie. That's all I got to say. Mighty Ducks 3? No, nope, like I'll it. still watch it. <laughs> yeah, I'll right. still watch it. Keenan's in it. Yeah, Knuckle Puck, man. Yeah. So uh, Brian just likes his hockey movies and tweed jackets. Yeah. Number 21 is where you put this one, Mary. That's high, but just wanted to see what your take was on Miracle. I really enjoyed it. I'm a fan of hockey, and I think this really captured some of the magic of the sport. Yeah, yeah, I definitely recommend this movie. I'm not one for sports movies usually, but I do like this one. Chad, you have this at 12. Yeah. It's Rudy on Ice. I love it. I enjoyed the true story component of this one. It's one of the most inspiring underdog stories in sports. I love the Olympics, and it was one of those movies that Mary put it well when she said, I think it captures the magic and the electric nature. It's just well shot, like particularly the later scenes in this make you aware how electric and how fast the game is. They capture that magic. Singing in the Rain is our next movie. Now, Ched, this is the number one movie for you. This is the uh, first number one movie to come out so far. Makes me sad that it's this slow. Yes, Singing in the Rain is a masterpiece. It was something that I was first introduced to in a music appreciation class. Obviously, I appreciated it. I've shared it with as many people as I can. I love musicals and this is in my opinion the best musical ever made the cast is charming their chemistry is off the charts and gene kelly just produces a masterwork through this mary you have this pretty high 26 but uh, it's uh, the low ranking on this one what was your take on singing in the rain i think it's the first time i had seen this movie all the way through i feel like it's one that would be just randomly on tv growing up and i'd seen bits and pieces of it so it was the first time watching it in one shot um i think that it is a classic i have this one at number 11 and i felt like it was just a little unfocused because it was very charming it was very funny and then it takes an artistic turn and then there's also some asides in the middle and so this loose structure somehow maybe didn't all make it come together but what was what everything else about it was super charming i love the music it was compelling it was one of the things to watch and with perhaps just a little more of a, a consistent plot line i think that this would have gotten me the, the rest of the yeah, way there i i agree with that i think there's a sort of a lag in the middle of the movie that kind of pulls me out of it so i think that probably why i you know why it's not higher on my list but it also captures the magic of how movies transformed from silent movie and talkie movie and 
that, that was fun to see a movie about movies about that time. And I, that is why AFI puts this in their top 10 all time. Brian, you have this at number 13. Yeah, I mean, this is an excellent movie. It's definitely one of the best musicals of all time. The only thing that this suffers from and why it's not higher on my list is like uh, musical artists, I would love to see something like this live. Obviously, it's a movie, but I just mean if it were, you know, a, an actual stage production, I, I would enjoy it all that much more. You know, no disrespect to the film. It's phenomenal film. It's just that... Uh, you know, like my music, I just prefer it live. Now you like wintertime and you like skiing so much. Would you prefer it better if it were singing in the snow? Mm, no, I don't want it to be like a love actually uh, bastardization uh, by Bill Nye. Although that part in the movie is hilarious. Number six from 1985, we have the movie Clue. Now, Chad, you've got the high rank on this one. This is your number three movie. Yeah, another one that I hadn't seen before and i was just so caught off guard by this movie how funny it was uh, i immediately turned to my wife and said we're watching clue tomorrow night together just had seen it for the podcast i had a great time she had a great time and i'm just completely charmed by this movie if i recall you like the witty word uh, yes, di- I, the, the witty words and dialogue i i love the quick banter and the the witty dialogue yes especially the the police scenes with the butler. I have this one because I'm the lowest voter on this one, but I just really enjoy this movie. It's, it is completely enjoyable. It's one of those movies that wasn't fully appreciated at the time, and it has only been, uh, it, it is a cult classic for a comedy. It, it's grown to be more appreciated through its TV runs, and also putting all three alternate endings together is definitely the way to watch this movie, and it wasn't released that way. So shame on them for not putting them all together. It's so much fun to have alternate endings. I actually said this on the podcast. I would love to see a remake of this just simply because give me more scenarios. Like this was just so much fun. It's like playing the board game. You have different results and that somehow captures the fun of the board game. It's hard to capture the feeling of a board game in a movie, but they did it. Mary, you have this one at number six. Also pretty high. I have so much fun with this movie. I've seen it many times over the years. It's another one of those movies that just comes on TV and I'm sucked into it every time. It's fantastic. And yeah, this it's another movie that's, yeah, maybe it has some innuendos, but this movie can be watched by almost any age and enjoyed by just about any age. So. Was it PG? Yeah. Yeah, that's impressive. I mean, you don't see a lot of PG comedies. Yeah, I, I, I think it's impressive to, to be able to, to have a movie that funny and not go to, you know, raunchy humor as a tactic. So that's a particular challenge, and they definitely excelled. Brian, you had this one at number 15. It's definitely a charming movie. It's funny, and it's, you know, family-friendly, which if you can get both of those, that's just a home run. A uh, huge fan of the board game, and uh, I thought that uh, in terms of all the things that have ever done a movie based on a game— uh, this is definitely a higher echelon. For sure. As we move forward, we have from 2000's Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? We have two of you who gave this movie your number two ranking, the first of which is Mary. Mary, tell us about Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? This is one of my favorite movies of all time. I've seen it so many times. I can't say enough good things about this movie in terms of the, the art direction, the storytelling, the acting. It just all comes together in this really unique piece. I am the low one on this one as well. I have it at 21. And again, I love it. So just being the low man on the totem pole doesn't mean that I don't love it because it's a great adventure. 
I don't find there's quite as much humor in it as some do, but I just think it's a great adventure, and it's always fun to see the different characters who they bump into from the past. This It's a little bit of a Bill and Ted, in a way, that you go back and you bump into people, and uh, it's a fun romp through the past. I somehow would like this approach to other time periods as well. Uh, great soundtrack. You guys were talking about Ben-Hur being one of the best soundtracks. This one was another one of the great soundtracks on there. So, Chad, you have this one at number two, as, just like Mary did. You must have liked it as well. I'd never seen it before, and I just fell in love with this movie. I love the soundtrack. I, I love the blues and the gospel influence. Uh, love the actors, the comedy, the fact that it was based on the Odyssey very loosely, but still you could relate several of the scenes and characters. So that was a lot of fun as a fan of Greek history. Yeah, this this was a huge hit for me. Brian, you have this one at 19. This is a great movie, great soundtrack. It, it suffered a little bit from the other movies that are on the list, uh, like we've mentioned several times, but uh, this is... This is a rewatchable movie. You can get into it. It's fun. There's an element of uh, suspense to it. And I just, yeah, I can't say enough good things. Number four, we're moving up to the top. Pan's Labyrinth from 2006. Mary, you're the high voter on this one at number four. This is a dark fantasy that just makes you question what's what's real what's not real and i it's another one of those films that every time i watch it i see something new in it that i hadn't seen before acting is fantastic i don't even notice that i'm watching sub reading the subtitles because it's just so so smooth and effortless of a visual experience yeah another one of my favorite movies i'm a little bit on this one as well three in a row for that yeah. Yeah, i know sorry about that guys i have this one at 17 which is still really high by the way i i love the world war ii setting part of the war that i wasn't really familiar with and transporting me to that but also it was a really great fantasy it is a dark fantasy it was like those old fairy tales that were there's there's there is darkness in that and it's a beautiful direction some of the creatures and the crafting on that one were there and then one of the scariest moments for me has to be the pale man from this movie. So. Oh, he was a great character. <laughs> really scary dude. Great mind. I love Guillermo del Toro. I went out and saw Shape of Water immediately after seeing this one. And I want to complete the library from Guillermo del Toro because I think very highly of him as a director. And this movie is the one that really kicked off my love for him. So, Brian, you have it at 10. Uh, no, this is a fantastic movie. Uh, fantastic in really a lot of the ways that you guys have already mentioned the dark fantasy is awesome the makeup the direction is great if you're interested in pushing forward with more del toro i actually recommend his fiction as well he does science fiction fantasy fiction uh, he wrote the strain series and uh, although the tv show is not great i highly recommend the books I did not know he was a book writer. That's interesting. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, he, he co-writes it with Chuck Hogan. But yeah, it's still very, very good. Now, Chad, you have this at number six. I'm enchanted by this movie, beautifully told. And kudos to everyone involved in this movie because the acting was superb. Uh, it, it does have subtitles, so it took me a while to get around to just watching this movie. But I'm so glad I did. Number three, the oldest movie we did this year. From 1939, The Wizard of Oz. Mary, you have this as your number one movie. I, I think it was challenging to even think about putting something else ahead of it. Uh, this is a, a movie that I 
don't remember life without it existing. Um, it, it's sort of the movie on which all other movies are judged. Wizard of Oz takes you into a fantasy world, and it's just completely classic and, I think, uh, at this point, a universal story that everybody can relate to. This is the only movie that came with two number ones, but before we go into that, Chad, you gave us a 21. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel bad for this because... You should. <laughs> it's a masterpiece. It really is. It's just one that I don't care to watch very often, and I've I've seen it quite a bit, and you know, just all the movies ahead of it, I would rather watch again. Okay. And, and I know your your sticking point without a lose a guy in ten days, but yeah, I would probably still watch that over Wizard of Oz. I've just I'm a little saturated with it. Oh my gosh, you did put out a lose a guy in ten days. <laughs> I, 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 I somehow injustice. I somehow forgot that I put it out of my mind that you put it at nineteen. But yeah, Russell's still offended by see, this. See, it's not that you put that at nineteen. You're allowed to like that, but it's what you then put below that. It's more of the. <laughs> That's uh, where all the judgment yeah, comes from. Yeah, this is That's a child digging like this year is egregious. Yeah, it's egregious. You hear me? It's a masterpiece. I just uh, I could go without seeing it every every two or three years. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, you have it at number eleven. I, I'm still reeling for how to lose a guy in 10 days part I, uh, <laughs> better than, better than just, the Wizard of Oz apparently uh, I would rather that. see it not better I would rather see it They're, uh, <laughs> they used to do a skit on the man show where they would uh, make up fake movie titles and then go like really excessively like into detail on why they wouldn't see the movie uh, for instance was uh, I think it was Adam Carolla one time talking about Sister Act 4 and he was like, you could fill the theater up with beer and have prostitutes drowning in it. And I would not go see that movie. So uh, that's how I feel about How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. So uh, <laughs> anyway, back to uh, Wizard of Oz. No, this is, this movie's phenomenal. It's it's nowhere. I, I don't even like having it in the same sentence as How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. <laughs> like... I feel like we've 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 done a film like first here by tarnishing the good name of Wizard of Oz by uh, having it in the same realm of conversation <laughs> as How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. Uh, I yeah, I, I, Kate Hudson's dog. I know. Oh nope. no! Now you're gonna ask Toto. That's <laughs> just not fair. Toto's a cute dog. The dog that peed on everything. I want that one. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm just going to ruin everything. So wow. I'm going to continue praising. Bring, bring it on home, Brian. This is, this is hard. This is hard. No, well, I'm, 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 I'm not even look. someone who normally likes musicals. And I, this is my favorite musical and for sure. And definitely one of my favorite movies. It's... <laughs> I'm recusing myself from further discussion of how to lose a guy in 10 days. What was it? 21? <laughs> <laughs> He's, he's just going to process. It's hard to take. It, 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 so it's worth noting, though, uh, you know, I think Brian tanked Rat Race from becoming the title holder because I have this Wizard of Oz as my number one movie as well. And it's very possible with the one, one and 11 that this probably would have been as well. So you tanked you tanked the Wizard of Oz to a lesser degree Sorry. than Brian did with Rat Race because his was like number 42. But uh, still, with your 21, you've taken the title away from uh, Dorothy and Toto. I feel a little bit bad about that. Yeah, it's okay. But for me, this is just, this is absolutely enduring. It's enduring across generations who are no longer around at this point. It is, it is got great music. I mean, you hear somewhere over the rainbow and it's, uh, it's just, 
it's one of those movies that just resonates and it's because of the movie. And I can't think of hardly any scene in a movie that's quite saw dropping as this transition from black and white to color. It's just one of those magical moments in cinema when Dorothy leaves the black and white house that's fallen in Munchkin land and then you see the yellow brick road and everything's in vibrant, saturated color. The witch is one of the greatest villains of any movie. She's just truly evil. That cackle, Margaret Hamlin is amazing. And uh, the flying monkeys also, they give you the willies. Great stuff here. I love fantasy. I love musicals. It all comes together here. And Wizard of Oz, good stuff. The good stuff from Kansas. Thank you. Number two, from 1995, GoldenEye, 007 movie. Brian, you have this one highest at number three. This is, I, I kind of thought that this one might creep up into the top five. I'm happy it did, but uh, just so our listeners know, this is probably coming from all people who that was probably their first real introduction to a new bond film man i i think it holds up i think it's a it's a quintessential bond movie uh it's got all the check marks it's got suave bond it's got violence it's got tech it's got wittiness i mean i don't know what else you need from a movie because that just checks a lot of boxes we all played the video game this is probably going to be the most disputed movie on this list by other listeners especially older ones but I like giving the caveat of why. I think that's a good point because it touched our generation. And obviously the four of us here are within a year of each other. So Mary, you have this lowest, which is at nine, which is not low at all. Uh, this is how it landed here at number two. Nobody, nobody hates it. So. Oh, I, I love this movie. It's it. And like Brian said, it, it was my first real introduction to Bond. I mean, maybe I had seen one but this one we went to theaters for and it was exciting and you know started a history of my family going to see uh bond movies in the theaters so it's got great you know connotations just because of that alone so the fact that it's down that low on my list isn't a knock to it at all it's just there's you know we've watched some incredible movies this year yeah chad you have this at number eight for i nailed it this I'd seen Bond before quite a bit, even on a seventh grade trip uh, room and we watched Bond movie marathons. But this was this was the new Bond in my first exposure to the new Bond. And what a bombastic start to Pierce Brosnan. And I was so excited for what would come next. And then, yeah, but GoldenEye is great. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh <laughs> I think people are hard on Pierce Brosnan at this point. No, no, here's the thing. Pierce Brosnan was the best Bond that could have possibly been handed the worst Bond scripts after GoldenEye possible. I feel like he was handed one over-the-top scenario. And Bond's supposed to be a little over-the-top. I, I get that. But, I mean, it just got ridiculous uh, at a point. In- yeah, you can't go invisible car and ice. Castle. Yeah, it, it hurts me. They, they went, they got too popular. They got too repopular. If I can use that as a, as a, uh, excuse. And they just, they pushed the envelope in the wrong way, uh, in the wrong way, AKA Batman forever, Batman and Robin. And it, it just, it, it, tipped it the wrong direction. And, uh, you know, Daniel Craig's bond pulled it, pulled it back in in the right way to a degree but man Brosnan's bond was just so bond 
I have this one at number seven, which is appropriate because it's 007. And I just love this this movie. This, this is just one of these great action movies. It's not just a Bond movie to me. And I love the James Bond series. I cannot wait for the new movie to come out, No Time to Die. I love every Bond movie. And I think it's sad to see Pierce Brosnan in this era kind of I see I see him's name besmirched a lot as if he was a bad bond and I don't like I don't like that. I think it's not awesome. his fault. I don't think it, that's it fair really at all. is not his fault. Like he had so little to do with the garbage movies he was handed. Like the only thing you can really fault him for is saying, Yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> Goldeneye is the perfect balance in action, sexiness, the uh humor that I want to see from Bond, the in- imagination and it also didn't necessarily try and completely break the mold and try and reinvent the wheel. I don't ask for that. I, I'd rather ha- give me just a fun Bond adventure every two to three years. I don't need you to write an ambitious, you know, mind-blowing script and take six years to release a Bond movie. So <laughs> this is what I want from Bond, and I hope uh, as we go forward we have a star who likes being Bond so we can have them more often and we can have more movies like GoldenEye because to me, it's the gold standard. Yeah, it even had gold in the title, and we know that those are just <laughs> got to be some of the best Bond movies. If it's got gold in the title, it's probably going to be a winner. Agreed. Oh, real quick, I just want to say that Pierce Brosnan's quips and back and forth and, and verbal sparring with uh, Famke Jensen in this is one of the best back and forths in any Bond movie. All right, and we're going to go into the number one movie from our Retro Movie Roundtable 2019 class. It is L.A. Confidential from 1997. Sadly snubbed at the Oscars because Titanic won everything. Boo. And uh, it's a shame. Brian, you have this as your number one movie, so it looks like you're right. You picked the best movie. Uh, It's your number one. You get the honor of telling us about it first. Cast, uh, screenplay, huge fan of film, uh, of, of crime noir, this I can watch this movie anytime. I I can watch this movie twice in a row. This is like green eggs and ham for me, man. Just just in, just yes, I can. <laughs> it's take it's taking your breath away. You're having a hard time forming. Like, I, I don't know. You're like, great, you're like big is... good like yeah. love. I, I I I can't get over how like and this is a movie I came to late. I didn't see this like anywhere close to when it came out. And when I watched it, I was like this. More of that. Where can I find more of this? So like, obviously like Mulholland drive came not too long after that. And just stuff like this. I'm just like, yep. Yep. Even uh, black Dahlia gangster squad. Like give me all of this LA crime noir. I'll take it. This is in Brian's wheelhouse. I, 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 so this movie doesn't have a very low ranking. We have two people who gave it a number eight and I'm one of them. And Mary, you're the other one. Do you want to go first? Yeah, this is a great film. It's got fantastic acting, and the storytelling is superb. I love and get excited each time I watch this movie about the way the story unfolds. Um, Yeah, it's great. Chad, you have it at number seven. Why don't you go next? So I was given two movies by Russell that I hadn't seen and wasn't on the podcast, and one was Mr. Nobody. We know how that went. And the (laughs) other was L.A. Confidential. How'd it go? Was that a, was that another reality where you didn't like it? Maybe this reality you do? Russell had high hopes for both, but then started moving the scale as we were discussing what I like in movies and what I don't. And it started shifting. He's like, eh, Mr. Nobody might not go well, but you'll like this one. And I wasn't confident after Russell's judgment because I'd seen Mr. Nobody. I was like, I don't like you anymore. Um, this movie <laughs> blew me away. I was so caught off guard by how good this is. I hadn't seen it until I was 
34 years old. So to me, this was like seeing The Departed for the first time. It, and yes. It's a shame a, that it came out the same year as the Titanic. Yes. Because it would have been the one to clean up all the awards, I, I think movie did not get its credit or its due and please go see this yeah and please go back in 97 and just hold it off for one year so it can win more awards in 98 <laughs> yeah maybe we can get a, a time traveling phone booth and go back and be like 1998 please this movie's so good i have it as a, my number eight but I, I i find myself the whole time going i was like this lost to a sinking ship it's lost a sinking <laughs> ship. Three hours. And they both could have fit on that door. They both could have fit on the door. Ship. There was room. Oh, man. Awesome. And <laughs> no disrespect to the Titanic fans out there. I just love LA Confidential, and my enthusiasm is just as much there as Brian's and Chad's and Mary's. It, 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 this is why it's our number one. You see, it's funny, like when three of us really love something, whether it be Rat Rays or The Shining, somebody's always going to come and say, I hate this. But this is the only. <laughs> Only one that we really, truly found full on. The Wizard of Oz was close. Chad wasn't all the way in. But uh, that is why L.A. Confidential and Gold and I stand heads and shoulders above the rest. So L.A. Confidential is our champion from 2019. Makes me excited to think about what we'll see in 2020. Chad, do you want to lead us on some movie superlatives for the year? Yeah, that would be great. For our first superlative, we're going to go with... The best director. So, Mary, how about we kick this off with you? Who was your best director uh, from sure. the movies we saw? Uh, that that was an easy one for me. Del Toro for Pan's Labyrinth. Mm, uh, that's a good definitely, pick. yeah, the standout in my mind. Very good pick. I like that pick a lot. Yeah, Russell. Best director for me is gonna be Stanley Kubrick from okay. from The Shining. All right, that's a shame. But... Did you see? Did you see that one, Chad? <laughs> I, I've seen it a couple of times. Uh, in seriousness, though, it is very artistically done. The, the craft level is great on that, as I mentioned before. And to me, it stands above, it transcends the genre in a lot of ways. And it's just a really great, well-made movie. And I'd like to see more horror, horror movies go this direction. Sorry, Chad. All right, just... we're going to move on from that bad opinion to Brian, who hopefully has a better one. Chad's death staring. My best director is also Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> <laughs> Son of a gun. <laughs> Sorry, Chad. All right, Brian. Tell us why you're wrong. Chad's face palming right now. Literally, uh, for those of you who can't see Chad, he's just face palming. Yeah. Tell us why you're wrong, Brian. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> I I am a huge Kubrick fan. Uh, if you delete eyes wide shut. I uh, no, it's this movie was this movie was so much fun, and Kubrick is one of those guys that just, just makes a really well done, crafty, and weird movie, and I can really appreciate it. Del Toro, Del Toro does too. He's easily my number two on this. So, uh, are you gonna go with Del Toro, Stanley Kubrick? <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go with William Wyler. Oh, I, nice. I just ben can't Hur. get away from from what he accomplished with Ben Hur. It's astonishing. So. What he put together is an epic masterpiece. So, William Wyler. Great choice. Uh, best cast, top to bottom, from this year's selections. Uh, that's that's hard. We have some fantastic acting all through this list. But in terms of a cast as a whole, I have to go with Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Even the minor characters are fantastic, You know, relatively big-name people who really bring a lot to the table. There's no one in that movie who didn't bring it. Yeah, that was a great selection. Russell? I'm going to go with L.A. Confidential. 
It was right. our number one movie yeah. overall. It was my number eight movie, but it's a deep, big cast. It doesn't have a central character. It kind of has three characters that it focuses on, and the support characters are more uh, weighty than a normal movie supporting role. So it's it's an ensemble effort, and that for me is why uh, it you know because it achieved what it did. Russell Crowe, Guy Pearce, James Cromwell's awesome. You got uh, Kim Basinger. It's just amazing cast, top to bottom. And like you said, even smaller roles in this were great and memorable. It's our number one movie for a reason. How about you, Brian? Uh, Russell copied my list. (laughs) Brian, you may go ahead of me next time. (laughs) So, uh, that. (laughs) Okay. All right, that's fair. Again, number one movie for a reason. Uh, For me, I just couldn't get past Clue. It's it had such a big cast and every character I enjoyed and especially Tim Curry, but they all mm-hmm. just played off of each other so well. And I felt like they all had fun together. And so I love that cast moving on. We'll go to our best actor from this year, Mary. So picking backing on what Chad just said, that uh, clue had such a great cast. Uh, I think Tim Curry stands out as the best actor for me on this list in general, both for Clue and for Rocky Horror Picture Show, he's he definitely stands out. Yeah, yeah, that's a great selection, Russell. You're best. I need to let Brian go first. All right, I think it's very unlikely that we have the same best actor, but go ahead, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) Russell chose someone from Rat Race, so Brian, go ahead. Uh, This is a this is a little difficult just based on his fall from grace and whatnot, but I went with Kevin Spacey from L.A. Confidential. his character at the at the time and the way he portrayed him was very compelling to me, especially with how that movie ended, and I won't ruin it here. Um, so, yeah, I went with Spacey. Hey, you can be a best actor and not a good guy. So. Yeah, yeah, it's part of the acting, you know. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you can act like you're not a bad guy. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Uh, Russell? This is why I know that Brian doesn't have this. I went with Tom Hanks in Big. Okay. Yeah, and I just think that he nailed the vibrant enthusiasm of a young person in an adult's body. I think he did an amazing job as an actor watching the way young people are remembering and tapping into that inner child. And again, this movie could have just been a disposable, you know, 13 going on 30 kind of effort. And I believe it is Penny Marshall's direction and Tom Hanks's acting that make this something that will has endured and will continue to endure. Well, I'm going to side with Mary in this debate. It was Tim Curry for me, both for uh, Clue and for Rocky Horror. Uh, Rocky Horror, I don't think would be a cult classic without Tim Curry. He was in The Three Musketeers as well. Yeah. Oh, he's yeah, in, yeah you're right. I he's did on forget about three that. Times. I can be arranged. Yes. <laughs> so for all his contributions and being the best part of multiple movies, it's got to be Tim Curry for me. It has been a stacked year for Mr. Curry, All right? for yes. one and more for me. Although poor Kurt Russell. He was in the most movies and he got passed. Was he in more than Curry? I think so. I think he was in four. Tombstone Miracle. And anything else? Backdraft. Oh, um, yeah. I don't like that. Much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Three. Three. Yeah. 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 Moving on to our best actress, Mary. I picked Ivana Baccaro from Pan's Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. Um, as a young actress, she carried this film, and I can't think of a better person to, to pick for this. A really good pick there. She was wonderful. I like that pick, yeah. Um, Russell? I'm going to go with Kim Basinger. It's a supporting role, but 
it's really memorable. I mean, I just she really made this movie. I hate to double dip and go back to L.A. Confidential, but this best actress helped uh, make that best cast. And then also she did get an Oscar. This is this yeah. is the one Oscar that it did come away with. She was so she, really good. She had to fight the whole Titanic off herself <laughs> to get this one away from James Cameron. So good job, Kim Basinger. You totally deserved it. She was wonderful in this. She stole it from us. Uh, I totally have. Uh, <laughs> I had Mary's pick as well. So uh, I, I just, you guests and, and stealing my stuff. Get your hand out of my pocket. I let you go last time. <laughs> I'm going to be the third for Ivana Baquero on Pan's Labyrinth. She, for such, for such a young actress, what a wonderful job. She, she had did. never liked young actors either. Yeah. 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 Ever. Yeah, well, she earned it. She has a sense of sophistication in this movie. That's, that's beyond a lot coming from Chad. Yeah. For those of you who haven't caught on yet, every young acting performance that you might think that was good, that was good young acting. Chad goes terrible. <laughs> I like her very more, but yes, for the most part, I hate kids. They don't make movies better. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there we go. That it's okay. You've bad. only alienated everybody who's ever been a child, or will have a child, or has a child. <laughs> has a child. That, that's fine. As well as anybody who likes The Shining. So you've covered all the population. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. You did cover most. Write your letters to our retro movie roundtable at (laughs) yahoo.com. Attention, Russell. (laughs) Yes. Yes, attention. By the way, have you seen Solo, a Star Wars movie yet? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, why bring that wrath upon you? I'm just going to add that log on the fire. I will never see that movie. Uh, Moving on. To, uh, to best supporting actor or actress who wasn't in solo. <laughs> oh gosh, uh, this was an incredibly difficult pick because there were so many good people, so many great character actors to choose from. But I went with Ray Bulger, the Scarecrow from The Wizard of Oz. Oh okay. Yeah, yeah. The physical acting that he does is outstanding. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those guys he was born to play that role. So this is a bit of a my wheelhouse. I'm totally going to diverge from what is necessarily the best I can help but just dive into my favorite. I love Dana Carvey as uh, Garth in Wayne's World. I, I, he says while wearing a flannel shirt. I, it's pretty nice. It's comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, my long hair is gone these days, but uh, I love Wayne and Garth. I love every minute of Wayne's world. And as, as you can tell, that was my overrating compared to the other three of you. So I was an outlier on that one. I'm a positive outlier, at least. So, um, <laughs> and, and Dana Carvey is just one of those comedians who I just think he's a golden stand-up comedian and a really talented sketch performer. Wish he had gotten more good vehicles in movies. This one is great for him, and I love it. All right, Brian, who is your best supporting actor or actress? Uh, I went with uh, Rebecca DeMornay for Three Musketeers. I thought she really added a lot to this movie. Kind of that spy espionage darkness that she and Curry really brought to the table and then how she tied into the overall story I really enjoyed. Um, And I hadn't seen a lot with her in it prior to this one. Of course, I was pretty young when I saw this one, too. And uh, just because I had a hard time choosing between the two, I also want to give a nod to Julie Moore from We Were Soldiers. Rebecca oh, yeah. Mornay pops up in Backdraft as well. So she, oh, that's she true. A, she's a double. That's true. She's a double dose this year, and she's uh, you can see her now, and she's Jessica Jones's mother. Huh. interesting. Yeah, she's not so pleasant there. No. 
for me, I had to get someone for my number one in here. So I went with Debbie Reynolds and Seen in the Rain. I really felt like her chemistry and just her spunk helped everything move along with the movie. And I loved her character. Yeah, that's that's definitely your AFI safe like that 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 was uh that like i said when i picked uh, dana carvey i knew i was like and eh, there's a lot of good people here but i just there can't are. Uh, there's a lot of people we're we're all snubbing here this is gonna be a little bit of an awkward transition for who we're starting with but mary <laughs> who is your sexiest female so i'm gonna kick this off <laughs> Uh, that's all right. Um, I think Kim Basinger is, I, I, she's the obvious choice to me. She's incredibly classy and sophisticated in her role in LA Confidential. So yeah, Kim Basinger. Okay. Lovely choice. That's a, that's a, that is definitely an honorable mention for sure. I went with, uh, Fonka Jansen in Goldeneye. Okay. Xena uh, on a top? Yes. Um, <laughs> on a ridiculous top? Name. Yes. And, it's, it's, it's her best performance, or I should say it's her peak performance in, in terms of uh, aesthetics. So um, good job. Good job for her on this one. But I do want to give a second runner-up for Jacqueline Bissett and, uh, and Bullet. Okay. Very good. Brian? Uh, I went with Sophie uh, Marceau from uh, Braveheart. Mm, that's a good choice. She's pretty. I feel like I have to duck, but I shouldn't for this opinion. But I'm going with Kate Hudson. No, that Halloween. explains <laughs> many things. You know what, Brian? We don't have to rack our brains any longer. Just... Call that one. Oh man, it's the yellow dress. It's that yellow dress. I've already recused myself from this topic. Russell's head is in his hand I, right now. I get it now. I, I didn't get it before, but 19. Ahead of the Wizard of Oz. She's gorgeous, so. Okay. <laughs> she works for me. Oh. All right, all right. All right. So uh, so I guess I, I think Chad's, Chad's uh, or my uh, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days would be Serendipity with Kate Beckinsale. Yeah. Yep. That's fair. I I was actually going to make a joke of, sorry, Fry, there's no Kate Beckinsale on this year's yeah, selections. Yeah. Otherwise, that would have been just... He scoured the IMDb yeah. deep, deep cuts yeah. to make sure she didn't have a non-speaking role in yeah. something. Was she in a cameo in the background? Or... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lady at bar in the background. Yeah. Maybe more in Mary's wheelhouse. We'll move on to our <laughs> sexiest male. To me, this was an obvious pick. Um, who uh, He appears on our countdown twice. Hugh Jackman. Okay. Hugh Jackman. Australian. Wolverine. Very good choice. Yeah. Uh, so your opinion matters more on this one. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm with Pierce Brosnan. He's James Bond. He's the guy that every guy wants to be. Like I said, this is Pete Brosnan as Bond. So he has got the style. I love it. Busting through that wall in a tank and straightening his cuff, yeah. straightening his cuff and straightening his tie a little bit. You know, uh, I, I love it that uh, no matter how intense the action gets going, he's going to look good doing it. Russell's swooning a little bit over here. So. Yeah. That's man crush. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Uh, I, I cooled off when I saw Mama Mia and I saw him sing. I was like, oh, mm. you just clearly don't have everything. So, Brian, <laughs> who is your man crush in this? <sighs> also, Did I sing? Also. <laughs> <laughs> I was really expecting a Josh Hartman. Oh, man. I, I, oh. I, I can feel Brian shaking his you, fist. When this happens, you have, to, you have to invert the circle at some point. <laughs> the bus here i wasn't expecting to do these so uh, you're doing a great job i i am failing miserably and i hope you all are enjoying it uh, 
Brian, would you like to add any other qualities of Pierce Brosnan? Is it the eyes? Is it the... It's the watch, isn't it? <laughs> uh, he's, uh, I actually think he's also aged well. Um, he, is, he is still a handsome man today. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I can't believe I'm going to be the only one to say this, but George Clooney. I mean, yeah. The Dapper Dan? No. Doesn't like Fop. I don't know. I know that much. So, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, he's he's the only one that we mentioned who's, uh, I think, been a multi time people's like sexiest man in the the world or alive or. I I have to say that I was expecting Chad to say Matthew McConaughey. That would also make sense. That would make even more sense because, like, like, hey, Kate. Kate Hudson would like like knock it up to like around like twenty five, but then McConaughey would knock it up to the full nineteen. If my wife had gotten a vote, yes, he would have been number one. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Moving on, uh, the biggest thrill from this year's selections, Mary. Yeah, I hope this uh, doesn't have any spoiler connotation to it, but I I found that the scene with the thin man played by Doug Jones in Pan's Labyrinth is the most thrilling scene. Oh, that's for a wonderful me choice. That was a good choice. I, 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 I didn't go that angle, but yeah. I didn't make it a nominee in my head, but now that you said it, that's, that's a really good choice. That's the scene that gets my heart racing the fastest, and oh. to me, that's an effective thrill. Brian I, needs to get this. Before I'd like me, to by change the way. my vote. Yes. <laughs> Um, Brian, would you like to steal Russell's thunder here? I actually went with uh, something a little different here. It's not a thrill movie, but I was thrilled to watch it, and I went with Cool Runnings. Oh, yes. Nice. Very good, Mom. Yeah. This is, this is a thrilling movie, so I'm going to go with the chase scene and Bullet. Okay. The 11-minute long McQueen. Steve McQueen chase scene. Loved it. And a, a nod. To the chariot race from Ben Hur. Oh, that's another good one. I actually didn't consider that. It's so, super thrilling. So I went with the tank scene from GoldenEye. Just oh, as I love that too. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a good one. Fun. As soon as he busts through that wall and they hit the the 007 theme, just da 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 da. This is how you use the music, and it's great. I love it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Can I Those just are all give great a? Picks, uh, by the way. A, uh, a a nod to Billy Bob Thornton going to town on that trunk with yes. the golf club. I have to say, I, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that was the most therapeutic moment. You yeah, like, hear you that, Roy? <laughs> he brought your thumb. Uh, well, that could be eligible for our biggest laugh, which is our next category. Mary. Uh, so biggest laugh, although I did think about the Billy Bob Thornton and the golf club, um, but uh, hands down, the air traffic control tower scene in Rat Race, that's probably the funniest I've ever laughed at a movie. I'm pretty sure that when I saw it the first time, I couldn't breathe. I agree. I, I agree, but I, I prepared a backup because I know Chad, <laughs> and, I knew had, I Chad and I have already that. had this superlative <laughs> and, and just conversations because it's the top laugh of any movie ever anywhere our listeners by far know for sure that we have it now so i i came prepared all right with the number two that's my interesting answer that will surprise and shock people maybe all right we'll proceed bohemian rhapsody from from Wayne's world the, the, oh, that's a good one the car ride just i can't watch this without just getting a smile so big on my face that it hurts and it laughs i i start laughing before the stuff even happens like when he walks up to the car and he's like is he gonna spew? I give you a no spew, Paul. <laughs> like yeah. a guarantee. And like when it's so funny and you know everything that's gonna happen and it still makes you laugh, that's that that's when you know it's uh, it's imprinted on you. Brian, what's your biggest laugh? 
Rat Race, right? Yeah, Rat Race, right? The Eric Tower? No, it's going to be Oliver Platt in Ice Harvest. Basically all of the bar scenes. Charlie Oglis, yo-ho-ho, mofo! That was an unforeseen... I didn't see that one coming. I thought you were going to go for the, the trunk with the, the beating in the trunk. I, I thought for sure that would be that. I Just the okay. whole mob lawyer thing, and he's like, I really wish you wouldn't do that. And he's a huge mob lawyer. Like, I... That whole sequence was hilarious. <laughs> I'm really shocked Oliver Platt didn't get your best supporting on the air. Yeah. yeah. Yes, so I, I too wrote down the air traffic uh, control tower scene from Rat Race as my biggest laugh, but uh, in the interest of keeping things interesting, Tim Curry, when he's running down the the recreation of the murder in Clue, and he's running from room to room, and he's got a knife raised up, and he's just madly running and he's squeaking because he got wet earlier and he's doing kind of these impressions and just this quick frenetic energy it made me laugh the entire time i like it when he knocks mr green on the ground he's like will you stop doing that no (laughs) i don't laugh out loud very much during movies but that scene gets me a sadder category but we'll go with didn't quite hold up over time Mary? Yeah, I agree. This category kind of makes me sad, and I had to pick X-Men, although I love X-Men so much. Uh, just the characters and the story, this movie just didn't age well in its effects. <laughs> Russell was clapping over That's there. That's your pick as well. I, it is, but I've got a runner-up ready to go. But, uh, uh, X-Men's one of those ones that also gradually has... I didn't I didn't watch this time and be like, oh, this movie's not as good as I remembered. I've seen it along the way several times, so it, I've had the slow deconstruction brick by brick <laughs> on that one. So Demolition Man is a movie I hadn't seen before, but I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more had I seen it at the time. It, it, it's, it's campy, so it's got that going in its favor, but I also just don't think that – I don't think it's as sharp as it could be because of – of some of that. So I'm going to say Demolition Man didn't hold up. Seashells don't hold up for you. What do they do? <laughs> biggest mystery. Um, biggest unsolved mystery. That's not a superlative, but I'll just throw that out there. That's my biggest mystery coming out of this year. All right, Brian. What's What didn't hold up for you? Uh, I'm going to go with War Games. Uh, not because the movie itself didn't hold up, but anytime you use uh, a lot of tech in a movie, you're dating yourself. And just from that standpoint, I would say that's probably the one. The tech's so charming. You didn't like the Whopper going... Life has nothing to do with it. I'm just saying that... Yeah, it's tic-tac-toe rendered slowly. Somehow when you said like has nothing to do with it, I was picturing Clint Eastwood deserves got nothing to do with it. Very nice. For me, sadly, it's Ace Ventura. It's... Oh, that's a good pick, too. Yeah, it's a good pick. It's just not as funny as when I was a kid. Uh, it makes me sad, but it doesn't hold up as well. The uh, Oh, the transphobic ending. Well, yeah. there's that yeah. too. Cultural but, sensitivity, yeah. But it just, it's not as funny. Laces out. <laughs> okay. All right. Best movie you had never seen before. Uh, I had seen bits and pieces of Ben-Hur over the years. But I had never seen it all the way through, so I'm going to have to go with Ben-Hur. That was quite an epic film, and I wish I'd seen it earlier. I feel like Brian, because that would have also, just like the biggest laugh of that, that one also would have been mine. But that's okay. Yeah, sorry, I'm, picking, I'm taking I have, your picks now. I, 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 I've prepared backups for everything, so uh, my second pick on this one is Maltese Falcon. Okay. Yeah, I hadn't seen that either. That was a wonderful film. 
And, and kudos to Sleuth as well, because I never would have seen that movie had it not been for uh, the recommendation by Katie, who came on the show, and really glad I watched it, because I never would have wanted to know about its existence. Brian, I know this is a tougher one, but what movie had you not seen before? Bullet. And not for lack of trying, apparently at some point I had purchased the movie and, and literally not gotten around to watching it. But um, <laughs> yeah, definitely Bullet. For me, it was, oh brother, where art thou? It, it reminds me of home, even though it was set in Mississippi. It reminds me of the people I grew up with, not necessarily GW, but the family members and the pinch and elk view setting that I was familiar with. So it was just charming, nostalgic for me. Yeah. Uh, most improved by returning to it this year. Well, I kind of, I talked about this earlier with The Shining. I think the first time I saw it, I was not prepared for what kind of movie it really was. So. <laughs> Another Chad, one Chad shaking his head. You're just going to have to eat <laughs> this gets, one. It gets worse every show. I... <laughs> All right, proceed. I'm sorry, Russell interrupted. I, I, I just wanted, I just wanted to shake my head in silence. <laughs> Russell throws me under the bus again. Proceed as to why this movie is better now. <laughs> the, the, the movie, well, I, I was, like I said, prepared for a slasher movie, and this is certainly not a slasher movie, so Seven. to got to sit down and be prepared for an artful, slow unfolding of a story. So when I sat down in the right frame of mind to watch it, I, I did I did really appreciate it on a second watch. I don't want to say anything, Russell. Okay, moving on to you. The biggest surprise for me, or the biggest, I guess, uh, improvement, would be Coming to America. I have seen it before, but somehow I'd never taken the time to fully put it all together, as well as not watch it on TV, broken up with commercials and editing. Uh, it's a much better movie than I thought. It's really charming, and uh, I, I, again, I kind of called it a modern fairy tale or, uh, or or a romance movie as well. And it does a lot of the things that sometimes I think that I don't like those things, but actually I do like those things when they're done like this way. Yeah, it's up there with cool runnings of movies I didn't expect to hold up. But yeah, both of those do hold up for sure. Uh, Brian, uh, I went with Miracle on this. Uh, I already liked it quite a bit, but I hadn't seen it in several years. And uh, I, oddly enough, I ended up watching it before I knew we were doing it for the podcast. And I was like, oh, this movie's awesome. And then we did it for the podcast, so I watched it again. And I think I've probably watched it two or three more times since Disney Plus dropped. Do oh, you wow. believe in miracles? That's a great movie. For me, it was Ben Hur. I talked about it on the podcast. I felt like I'd I thought seen you had it in high esteem coming in, though. Well, I, I had Miracle. In I appreciate it more having done done the research for it. Yeah, I mean, like Bry said, I, I didn't dislike the movie before, but I don't think I retained it all when I first saw it, or at least saw it heavily edited, because I do not remember three hours and 45 minutes. Um, I just have such an appreciation for what that movie is. And yeah, it's even better than I remembered. Absolutely. So... Thank you so much, Chad, for running that part of the show. This was this will now conclude the year that was, 2019. Oh, what a year it was. And we look forward to doing more in 2020. And I want to th I want to thank both Chad and Brian here because there's I want everybody to listen to the show to know you wouldn't have a show right now if it wasn't for these guys. These are some of my best friends coming on the show with me. This is why I do the show every week so I get to hang out with these guys. Brian came in in like January and Chad came in in early summer, late spring and uh, the show got so much better when these guys came on board, and it's been so much fun to do it with these guys, and they bring a lot of fun takes, and it would be so boring if everybody liked The Shining. 
and if everybody, <laughs> and if everybody <laughs> like rat race so i i love you guys and thank you for doing this this is so much fun and i look forward to doing another, this for another year yeah and mary yeah, to you, man. thank you for being there every step of the way watching every single one of these with me because you've made this fun <laughs> for me as well uh yeah i guess i'm sort of a sort of on the periphery of the show but i'm there watching all the movies and uh, hopefully i can bring a female voice every once in a while and make sure that you not guys know that hugh jackman is in fact the sexiest man on this list <laughs> i see it i see it he's one b that's fine he's, 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 he's pretty <laughs> and, and uh, a special shout out to sarah for taking care of mr baby at this point so uh he is uh You've probably been hearing it the whole time, but just in case you're wondering, we're not torturing our son in the background. He's just having a real hard night, and Sarah <laughs> is a saint for watching him, so thank you so much, Chad. Yeah, they're watching The Shining downstairs, and he feels so similar. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're not showing my four-month-old The Shining. He won't remember it. It's fine. He's got to wait a while to get to that one. <laughs> um. Hello there, and here is your shortlist. First episode of 2020. All of these movies are the new retro class, and they are from the year 2010. So, with no further ado, your 2010 options are option number one, True Grit. A stubborn teenager enlists the help of a tough U.S. Marshal to track down her father's murder. Option number two, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Scott Pilgrim must defeat his new girlfriend's seven evil exes in order to win her heart. And option number three, The American. An assassin hides out in Italy for one last assignment. This wasn't recorded live, so the selection that Chad and Brian helped us make was Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. So please tune in next time for 2020, the new retro, and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Thank you. All right, guys. Thank you so much. As always, be good to each other and watch more movies. Brian? Human beings are the only creatures on Earth that claim a god, and the only living things that behave like they haven't got one.